The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution, Book 6, The Marseillaise, Chapter 8, Constitution Burst in Pieces. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 6, Chapter 8, Constitution Burst in Pieces. Thus is the 10th of August won and lost. Patriotism reckons it slain by thousand on thousand, so deadly was the Swiss fire from these windows, but will finally reduce them to some twelve hundred. No child's play was it, nor is it. Till two in the afternoon the massacring, the breaking and the burning has not ended, nor the loose bedlam shut itself again. How deluges of frantic sanscalotism roared through all passages of this Tuileries, ruthless in vengeance. How the valets were butchered, hewn down, and, and Dame Campan saw the Marseille sabre flash over her head, but the black-browed said, Vaton, get thee gone, and flung her from him, unstruck. How in the cellars wine-bottles were broken, wine-butts were staved in and drunk, and upwards to the very garrets all windows tumbled out their precious royal furnitures, and with gold mirrors, velvet curtains, down of ripped feather beds and dead bodies of men, the Tuileries was like no garden of the earth. All this let him, who has a taste for it, see amply in Mercier, in acrid Montgaillard or Boileau of the Deux Amis, a hundred and eighty bodies of Swiss lie piled there, naked, unremoved till the second day. Patriotism has torn their redcoats into snips and marches with them at the pike's point. The ghastly bare corpses lie there under the sun and under the stars, the curious of both sexes crowding to look, which let not us do. Above a hundred carts heaped with dead fare towards the cemetery of St. Madeleine, bewailed, bewept, for all had kindred, all had mothers, if not here, then there. It is one of those carnage fields such as you read of by the name Glorious Victory, brought home in this case to one's own door. But the black-browed Marseillaise have struck down the tyrant of the chateau. He is struck down low and hardly to rise. What a moment for an august legislative was that when the hereditary representative entered under such circumstances, and the grenadier carrying the little royal out of the press set him down on the assembly table. A moment which one had to smooth off with oratory, waiting what the next would bring. Louis said few words. He has come hither to prevent a great crime. He believed himself safer nowhere than here. President Vernio answered briefly in vague oratory, as we say, about defence of constituted authorities, about dying at our post. And so King Louis sat him down, first here, then there. For a difficulty arose, the constitution not permitting us to debate while the king is present. Finally, he settles himself with his family in the loge of the logeograph, in the reporter's box of a journalist, which is beyond the enchanted constitutional circuit, separated from it by a rail. To such lodge of the logograph, measuring some ten feet square, with a small closet at the entrance of it behind, is the king of broad France now limited.' 
Here can he and his sit pent under the eyes of the world or retire into their closet at intervals for the space of sixteen hours. Such quiet, peculiar moment has the legislative lived to see. But also, what a moment was that other, few minutes later, when the three Marseillaise cannon went off, and the Swiss rolling fire and universal thunder like the crack of doom began to rattle. Honourable members start to their feet, stray bullets singing epicedium even here, shivering in with window glass and jingle. No, this is our post, let us die here. They sit, therefore, like stone legislators. But may not the lodge of the logograph be forced from behind? Tear down the railing that divides it from the enchanted constitutional circuit. Usher's tear and tug, his majesty himself aiding from within, the railing gives way. Majesty and legislative are united in place, unknown destiny hovering over both. Rattle and again rattle went the thunder, one breathless wide-eyed messenger rushing in after another. King's orders to the Swiss went out. It was a fearful thunder, but as we know, it ended. Breathless messengers, fugitive Swiss, denunciatory patriots, trepidation, finally tripudiation, before four o'clock much has come and gone. The new municipals have come and gone with three flags, Liberté, Egalité, Patria, and the clang of vivats. Vernio, he who as President few hours ago talked of dying for constitutional authorities, has moved, as committee reporter, that the hereditary representative be suspended, that a national convention do forthwith assemble to say what further. An able report, which the President must have had ready in his pocket, a president in such cases must have much ready, and yet not ready, and Janus-like look before and after. King Louis listens to all, retires about midnight to three little rooms on the upper floor till the Luxembourg be prepared for him and the safeguard of the nation. Safer if Brunswick were once here, or alas, not so safe? Ye hapless, discrowned heads, Crowds came next morning to catch a glimpse of them in their three upper rooms. Montgaillard says the august captives wore an air of cheerfulness, even of gaiety, that the Queen and Princess Lamballe, who had joined her overnight, looked out of the open window, shook powder from their hair on the people below, and laughed. He is an acrid, distorted man. For the rest, one may guess that the legislative... Above all, that the new municipality continues busy. Messengers, municipal or legislative, and swift dispatches rush off to all corners of France, full of triumph, blended with indignant wail, for twelve hundred have fallen. France sends up its blended shout responsive. The 10th of August shall be as the 14th of July, only bloodier and greater. The court has conspired... Poor court, the court has been vanquished and will have both the scath to bear and the scorn. How the statues of kings do now all fall. Bronze Henri himself, though he wore a cockade once, jingles down from the Pont Neuf, where Patrie floats in danger. Much more does Louis XIV from the Place Vendôme jingle down and even breaks in falling. The curious can remark, written on his horse's shoe, 12 EU 1692, 
a century and a day. The 10th of August was Friday. The week is not done when our old patriot ministry is recalled. What of it can be got? Strict Roland, Genevieve's clavier, Ad Heavy Monge, the mathematician, once a stone hewer, and for Minister of Justice, Danton, led hither, as himself says in one of his gigantic figures, through the breach of patriot cannon. These, under legislative committees, must rule the wreck as they can, confusedly enough, with an old legislative waterlogged with a new municipality so brisk. But National Convention will get itself together, and then, without delay, however, let a new jury court and criminal tribunal be set up in Paris to try the crimes and conspiracies of the Tenth. High Court of Orléans is distant, slow, the blood of the twelve hundred patriots, whatever become of other blood, shall be inquired after. Tremble, ye criminals and conspirators. The minister of justice is Danton. Robespierre, too, after the victory, sits in the new municipality, insurrectionary, improvised municipality, which calls itself Council General of the Commune. For three days now, Louis and his family have heard the legislative debates in the lodge of the Lodgeograph and retired nightly to their small upper rooms. The Luxembourg and safeguard of the nation could not be got ready. Nay, it seems the Luxembourg has too many cellars and issues. No municipality can undertake to watch it. The compact prison of the temple, not so elegant indeed, were much safer. To the temple, therefore. On Monday, 13th day of August, 1792, in Mayor Pétion's carriage, Louis and his sad, suspended household fare thither, all Paris out to look at them. As they pass through the Place Vendôme, Louis XIV's statue lies broken on the ground. Pétion is afraid the Queen's looks may be thought scornful and produce provocation. She casts down her eyes and does not look at all. The press is prodigious, but quiet. Here and there it shouts, Vive la nation, but for most part gazes in silence. French royalty vanishes within the gates of the temple. These old peaked towers, like peaked extinguisher or bonsoir, do cover it up, from which same towers poor Jacques Molay and his Templars were burnt out by French royalty five centuries since. Such are the turns of fate below. Foreign ambassadors, English Lord Gower, have all demanded passports, are driving indignantly towards their respective homes. So, then, the Constitution is over? Forever and a day. Gone is that wonder of the universe, first biennial parliament, waterlogged, waits only till the convention come, and will then sink to endless depths. One can guess the silent rage of old constituents, constitution builders, extinct foyants, men who thought the constitution would march. Lafayette rises to the altitude of the situation at the head of his army. Legislative commissioners are posting towards him and it on the northern frontier to congratulate and perorate. He orders the municipality of Sedan to arrest these commissioners and keep them strictly in ward as rebels till he say further. The Sedan Municipals obey. The Sedan Municipals obey, but the soldiers of the Lafayette Army? 
The soldiers of the Lafayette army have, as all soldiers have, a kind of dim feeling that they themselves are sans calottes in buff belts, that the victory of the 10th of August is also a victory for them. They will not rise and follow Lafayette to Paris. They will rise and send him thither. On the 18th, which is but next Saturday, Lafayette, with some two or three indignant staff officers, one of whom is old constituent Alexandre de la Methe, having first put his lines in what order he could, rides swiftly over the marches towards Holland. Rides, alas, swiftly into the claws of Austrians. He, long wavering, trembling on the verge of the horizon, has set in Olmutz dungeons. This history knows him no more. Adieu, thou hero of two worlds, thinnest but compact honour-worthy man. Through long rough nights of captivity, through other tumults, triumphs and changes, thou wilt swing well, fast anchored to the Washington formula, and be the hero and perfect character were it only of one idea. The Sedan municipals repent and protest. The soldiers shout, Viva la nation! Dumourier Polymatus from his camp at Mauld sees himself made commander-in-chief. And, oh, Brunswick, what sort of military execution will Paris merit now? Forward, ye well-drilled exterminatory men, with your artillery wagons and camp kettles jingling. Forward, tall chivalrous king of Prussia, fanfaronading emigrants and war god Brolier, for some consolation to mankind, which verily is not without need of some. End of Book 6, Chapter 8 End of the French Revolution, A History by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2